0: Of church. Thank you, Brother Shane and the praise team. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 23 this morning. Genesis chapter 23, as we continue in Genesis, this is something, if you weren't with us last week, we began Genesis. We looked at the first half of Genesis back in 2019. We also looked at the first half of Genesis last week, and um covered in very and with much brevity uh, chapters 1 through 22 and Saul were reminded of God's beauty in creation and the attributes that we see in the early years of the earth and then we saw God's choosing of Abraham that God decided that he wanted to make a people to be his own people we know that that will become the nation of Israel Abraham was the one that he chose to begin that through. And so today we're going to continue looking at the life of Abraham and specifically at the life of Sarah as well this morning. So there are a couple of things that we're going to see. We're going to start out by seeing the faith of Sarah, who I refer to as the first matriarch. She was one of the matriarchs of the church. Um, we know that Abraham was one of the patriarchs. This was the patriarchal age, as it's referred to. Often in church history, and so Sarah being his wife was the first matriarch. We're going to look at her faith and God's faithfulness to her as well. We're going to see the first acquisition of some of the promised land. So the, the promised land has been promised, but uh, that was a future promise. But we'll see the first acquisition of promised land and the faith that that displays and how that faith was passed down from Sarah and Abraham to their descendants as well. So look with me in Genesis 23. We'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, and the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now, I do want us to stop here because I, I knew as we came to this text today that there was no way that we could just read at the end of the life of Sarah on Mother's Day. Sarah, I believe, to be the first matriarch dying, and I sing that text on Mother's Day without spending a little bit of time reflecting on the faithfulness of God to Sarah and the faith displayed in the life of Sarah. Now, I, I very comfortably say that Sarah is, is a much more significant person in Jewish circles than she is in Christian circles, and there are probably lots of different reasons for that. One, we, we're very careful uh, not to give importance to people outside of Jesus often. I think sometimes probably to an extent that goes too far to not recognize the example and the faith of human beings outside of Jesus. I think there's much to be thankful for in the example of someone like Sarah. I think sometimes we also, um, because of swinging a pendulum too far, can try and downplay the role that women had in the history of the church, in the history of our faith, and I think that that is um, a travesty as well. Because I will personally say, I'm thankful for Sarah. I'm thankful for the life of Sarah. I'm thankful that she was also willing to leave her family and her home and all of the things in Genesis 12, whenever they were called, right? We talk about often, man, what great faith Abraham was willing to leave Ur and Haran. He was willing to leave his family and his kindred and his home place and to go to the promised land. Well, you know who was with Abraham whenever they did all of that? Sarah was with him. And I'm thankful for her faith. And, and I'm not the only one because if you look, and you don't have to now, but if you look in First Peter Peter gives Sarah as a model wife because of her faithfulness to Abraham. As he's calling wives to live the way that they should and to not adorn themselves with gold jewelry and things of that nature, he gives Sarah as an example of what a faithful wife looks like. And so we see this faith that Sarah had given as an example in the New Testament. I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful that because of her faith and willingness to follow the plans that God had for them, that we're able to see God's faithfulness displayed to her. Right? We see God protecting her in Egypt whenever Abraham passes her off as his sister and not his wife. We see God protecting her and caring for her in that. And it happens later with Abimelech. And we see the same thing. God protecting her and caring for her as well as showing his faithfulness to Abraham. And then later, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, now, Hebrews 11, we often refer to that as the Hall of Faith, right? This is like the, the Faith Hall of Fame, if you will, and the writer of Hebrews names all of these biblical individuals that had such great faith and how it was displayed. And in verse 11, in Hebrews eleven eleven, 11, it says this, "...by faith... Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, what that text tells us is that Sarah's ability to have Isaac, right, her ability to go from being barren to being pregnant... Her ability to go from a 90-year-old lady who, was not, who had never had children to one that had a child was in response to her faith. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells is he By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. So I'm thankful that the faith of Sarah shows us the faithfulness of God because when she believed, God allowed her to have this son of promise. And so when you think back just briefly about the life of Sarah, and you think about all these things, she, because she trusted God, she got to see the promised land, right? It it wasn't, they hadn't received it yet, but she was there when God promised, this land will be given to your descent. She got to see the promised land. She got to see God's power displayed through plagues in Egypt, whenever they went there the first time, and she was passed off as Abraham's sister. She got to see the great blessings and possessions that they got because of that. She got to see God displaying His power and and giving a dream whenever it happened the second time in Genesis chapter 20 when she was passed off as just a sister and not a wife. And then there was in chapter 21, if you'll turn back just to chapter 21, there was this, what seems probably very likely, I think Sarah would tell us, the greatest earthly blessing that she received in response to faith. In chapter 21, verse 1 says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that she was able to receive that ability and that blessing from God because she had faith. And point one this morning says, Sarah had faith and God was faithful. Sarah had faith and God was faithful. In response to her faith, she received these blessings. There are all of these things that she got to take part in and got to see and got to experience and got to do because she had faith in God. And we talked about this for Abraham Wednesday night, this, this idea that, that I believe that we see Abraham's faith growing throughout Genesis, that as he is becoming more sanctified and as he's seeing God fulfill more of his promises, that he is becoming uh, stronger in his faith. And I believe the same thing is true for Sarah. We see this, this lady that at one point in time laughed because she was told that she would have a child in her old age and seemed very dis, disillusioned by the idea, who then believes so much that she is able to conceive and have a child. So we see this growing faith. And then, I mean, we see here in chapter 23, as chapter 23 opens, it is giving us the years of the life of Sarah. This is, she's the only of the matriarchs, I read this this week, she's the only one of the matriarchs that it gives the number of years of her life. That's, that's a significant note that it tells us how long... Sarah lived, right? So we're seeing many things about her. And we also see, as this happens as she passes, Isaac was 37 years old. So for 37 years, this lady who, at 90, had a son, got to experience being a mother. And so in the rest of this chapter, where we're going to be is, is Abraham is looking here to purchase a burial plot for Sarah, and so as he's looking to buy a burial plot, he is in a foreign land, right? He's originally from Ur and Haran. He has traveled here because God has called him to travel here. And so he is trying to buy land, but it's very difficult in this day and time to buy land in a place that you're not originally from. There are a lot of things that have to take place. I'm not going to go through all of those details because some of you are already tired, um, but just know that there are reasons for all of the different things that we see Abraham going through here. Look with me in verse 3, and we'll read a bit of this together. It says, And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. So what's going on here? Something that if you're here and you're a contract lawyer, this may seem interesting to you. If you're here and you're a real estate investor, this may seem uh, interesting to you. But some of you are like, this is some of the more boring texts I've heard Brother Zach read on a Sunday morning. It's okay to say that as long as we recognize that it's not boring and that's not useless, but it's meaningful, and we just have to, to have an opportunity to fully appreciate what's going on here. So Abraham wants to have a place to be able to bury his wife, and we can all understand that, but this whole back-and-forth deal, what's happened is he's gone to the elders of the city who are at the city gate, because again, he's a foreigner, so for him to buy land And for it to be proven that it's really his land, and to not have to go through disputes in the future, this has to be extremely public. Everybody that can see this needs to see this. Everybody that can hear this needs to hear this. And it needs to be done all above board. And so he comes and he tells them, I want, I'm a a sojourner, I'm a visitor, I recognize that, but I want some land where I can bury my wife. And they say, no, you're well-respected among us. They show us in verse 6, they say, you're a prince of God among us. And they tell him, you don't have to buy any land here. You pick the tomb that you want to bury your wife in, and it's yours. None of us will hold back any place that you ask for. You can have it for free. But Abraham is adamant here. He presses, and if you read through the rest of the, the chapter, he continues to press I want to purchase some land. And he had this specific plot picked out, right? It's at the end of this man, Ephron's land. He said, I want to buy not just that tomb, but I want to buy that field. And so they go back and forth, and he eventually buys the field for a very steep price. Now, I'm not saying that it was more than it was worth, because I don't know how much it was worth. But I know over a thousand pounds of silver is a lot of money to spend on a burial plot in a land that's not originally your home place. And so we see here finally what happens is that Abraham purchased some of the promised land. And that's point two. Abraham purchased some promised land. And that is, it's, it's particularly interesting because it is the first procurement of promised land that we see. Right, God has promised that all of this land of Canaan would be part of the, the inheritance of the descendants of Abraham, that God was going to give all of this to them. And this is the first bit of that that we see taking place. In a minute, we'll talk about it a little bit more. But we do see that. This is the first procurement of promised land. And so then, if you go skip to the end in verse 19 he's finally able to lay Sarah to rest. He buys this place. Everybody sees it. It's above board. Everybody knows it. It's going to be known in perpetuity. Everybody will know this is Abraham's land. This man that's a foreigner among us that's not from here, he's just a visitor and a sojourner. He owns that land. His wife is buried there. And not just that tomb, but that whole field belongs to him. But there's something that makes this interesting and helpful and useful for us outside of seeing the first procurement of promised land. And for me, it centers around one very important question. Why was Abraham so adamant on purchasing this land? Did any of y'all ask that question? Were any of you curious as you're listening to me read this? Why is he so set on this? Because I'll be honest. For most of my life, when I've read this, what I thought is, Abraham, you dummy, they're trying to give you the land. Just take it. Why do you want to buy it? Why are you so set on buying something that somebody said they'll give to you for free? Right? If any of you go to Papa's for lunch today, and you walk in, and they say, oh, you are great and special. You can have your meal for free. Are you going to say, no, I will buy this fish. I will purchase it. For its full price. No, you're going to say thank you. But Abraham doesn't just say thank you. And he he really presses the point. And the writer of Genesis, Moses, presses this point for us. That Abraham wanted to purchase this field. Not just the tomb, but the field. And I believe as I've studied this week and looked at the laws of this day. Among these people. That have an understanding Why? And I think it's that Abraham is showing here that he believes God's promise. That God has told him that this land will one day be where your descendants will live. Your people, your great, 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 great grandchildren are not going to go live in Ur and Haran where you are from. They are going to live here. In Canaan, this will be their land. But it's not yet. It's not yet. And Abraham knows that he wants his wife to be buried here where his descendants are going to be. In this land that's going to belong to his people. And he knows that he will want to be buried here one day. And I believe that he wanted his children and grandchildren to be buried here until the promise was realized. Because God told him back in chapter 15, if you remember, God said, your descendants will be captives in another land for 400 years and then they will come and then they will have this land. So Abraham knows it's coming, but he knows it's a while off. And so I think whenever we see Abraham willing to pay a very steep price to purchase this field, to be able to use as a burial plot, I believe that what we see is an act of faith that even though he had not seen the acquirement of the promised land with his own eyes, that he fully trusted that it was coming. And that's point three. Abraham's purchase was an act of faith. I truly believe that. Whenever we read this, what do we see? We see some man trying to buy a place to bury his wife when he could have had it for free. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. to us. And what did the Hittites see? They probably saw this crazy man who's a visitor who just seems to be passing through, who's willing to pay a ton of money, a half ton to be exact, to buy a burial plot in a foreign land, which probably seemed like a very odd and random thing to them. But you know, if you'll give me just a moment, I can tell you this is something that I have personally thought about before. Many of you are from this area, and your grandparents are from this area, and your great-grandparents and, and great-great-grandparents are buried over there, or over there, or over there. Because this is where you're from, and this is where your people are from. And whenever you die, you expect that you'll be buried there, there, or there. Many of, many of you have already marked your spots where you're going to be buried here at Mount Time, because this is where you are from and where your people are from, and it's where you expect that your grandchildren, great-grandchildren will likely be as well. But you know, in one sense, I'm a visitor here. Not really a visitor, but somewhat a visitor, right? I'm not originally from here. I'm a transplant. The Lord has brought us here. My parents don't live here. My grandparents don't live here. Nobody that I'm kin to lives here. And so, is it possible that my kids and grandkids might live here? It's possible, but it doesn't seem that likely. And so, if I were to come up and say, you know what, I want to buy a piece of land in this community. And I want to buy it at a pretty steep price, and I'm willing to pay that price, because I want to have, kind of like over on uh, Newell's Cemetery, on Newell, I want to have a family, community-type burial a whole field, because this is where my family's going to be. Some of you would think, that's pretty weird that Brother Zach wants to pay that much money to buy a field to have as a burial place where his family isn't even from. But what if I told you this? What if I said, God has told me? Now, you'd probably think I was even more crazy, but just this is just an example. If God told me, Zach, your grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids are going to live here. This will be their home. This is where they're going to be. And so then, if God had told me that, and then I said, I want to buy this field because I want to be buried here where my family's going to be, all of a sudden, it's not somebody doing something crazy. It's an act of faith, isn't it? And I've, I've thought about this before. Where am I going to be buried And I still don't know the answer to that question. But I know this. Abraham knew where he wanted to be buried. Because he knew where his descendants were going to be. This is how I put this in my mind. Abraham, nobody else knew what Abraham was doing. Abraham knew what he was doing because he knew what God was doing. Does that make sense? God told him, this is what I'm doing. I'm giving this land to your descendants. And God promised that on God's own life. That's the covenant. In Genesis 15, God said, I will do this or I will die. It's a promise that, a, that God made to Abraham. So Abraham says, I'll buy this field. I don't care how much it costs because this is where my family is going to be. He believed what God said to him. And he passes that down. Because later in Genesis, over in chapter 49, we read this about his, his son Isaac And his grandson Jacob, at this point, Jacob is at the end of his life, and he's in Egypt. He's over 600 miles away, and this is what it says in Genesis chapter 49, verse 29. It says, this is talking Jacob, Abraham's grandson. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, and the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. And Jacob made them carry his body 600 miles from Egypt back to Canaan to bury him in this spot. Why? Because Jacob also believed that one day God was going to give that land to their family. Point four, Abraham's faith was passed down. Abraham said, I will buy this field because one day this will all be our property. And he told his son that, and Isaac believed that, and Isaac and his wife were buried there. And then Isaac told his son that, he told Jacob that, and Jacob believed it so much that he said, don't bury me here in Egypt, you take me back home. And they said, that's not your home, and he said, but one day it's going to be. I don't know that he said that, but I think that's how it went. And the last one I'll read for you in Genesis chapter 50. All right, this is Joseph. This is Abraham's great-grandson, Jacob's son. Y'all know Joseph, the one that's thrown in the pit and sold into slavery and Potiphar's wife and jail and all that? And, and Egypt is a good place to Joseph, right? He's been number two in charge. He's been running the show. Egypt is a great place to him. But listen to what he says. It says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then... Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. What did Abraham's great-grandson say? He said, don't bury me here. Why? He said, because God is going to give us that land that he swore to great grandpa." Abraham, to Grandpa Isaac, and to Dad Jacob. They believed it, and I believe it, so don't bury me here. Just have me embalmed, and put me in a box so I can travel whenever y'all go back, because one day we're going home. Brothers and sisters, as we sit here on Mother's Day, I'm reminded of how important it is that we as parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, that we live with a faith that we want to hand down to our descendants. That we live in belief of the promises of God in a way that our children could as well. That that they would... They can't inherit it in the same sense that we can bequeath something to them, but they can inherit it in the way that they've seen it in us and they have admired it in us and they understand it in us and they understand that we trust God's promises because we know that God always keeps His promises and that can come down to them as well. That they can also choose to follow God because they have seen us choosing to follow God. So I pray mothers and fathers, grandparents and great-grandparents, aunts and uncles, that if, if you aren't serious about discipleship of your little ones, that you would be reminded today that it's a big deal. That the influence that your life has on your descendants is unquestionable and it is important. That Isaac saw his dad willing to sacrifice him on a mountain. That Isaac heard his dad say, one day this land will be our land. And he believed it so much that he told his son, and his son believed it so much that he told his son, and that he told his brothers, brothers and sisters, it was passed down, and I pray that it would be the same for us. That one day our great, great, great grandkids would be sitting in a church on a Sunday morning, if the Lord hasn't returned, and would be worshiping him. And if somebody said, why do you believe in Jesus? How did you ever come to believe in Jesus? And they would know that they believe in Jesus because the Lord has convicted them of their sin and brought them to believe. But they would have first been told about that. They'd say, the first time I ever heard the gospel was because my mom or my daddy told me. And they first knew because their mom or their daddy told them. And it would go all the way back to you. That you told your kids about Jesus. And the Lord used that to bring them to belief. Brothers and sisters, I'm thankful that Abraham had such strong faith. I'm thankful that Sarah had such strong faith, but I'm also challenged by this today. They believed and they haven't seen what we've seen. They believed and they haven't read what we've read. They didn't know about Jesus. They didn't know about God leaving heaven and coming to earth and living a perfect life and dying in our place to promise, to make sure that all the promises were kept. They didn't know about God raising Jesus from the dead, the second coming. They didn't know about all these things and they still believed. So how much more should we that know all of these things live in faith? This morning I pray that you have been challenged. To live a life of faith. To live the way that the Lord has called us to. To live trusting His promises. To do what we're supposed to do here until we go to the promised land. Because the promise is, one day we're going home. This morning I want to invite you to stand. We're going to have a time of response. And maybe you're here as a mother, a father, a grandparent, and you realize that you have not been serious about teaching your children the Word of God and the ways of God. And maybe you just need to repent of that. Maybe you need to ask the Lord for help and strength to do that. This would be a great time to do that. Maybe you're here and you recognize that your own faith is not as strong as it should be. And this be a great time for you to ask the Lord to help to grow your faith as we saw the faith of Abraham and Sarah growing. Maybe there's something else that the Lord has put on your heart today. But I just pray that you would do this. In just a moment, Brother Shane's going to lead us in a hymn of response. And as he does, you can pray, you can sit, you can stand. You can come down here and talk to me, but if there's something that the Lord's calling you to do, don't wait. Don't say next week. Dedicate yourself to doing what the Lord's called you to right now as Brother Shane leads us in the hymn of response.